0: I think it was Paul said to somebody or other, (laughs) I have no greater joy than to know my children, his spiritual children, walk in truth. And you can't buy that. And those of you that are here in the family ministries, I'm so excited you have a church like this that uh, reaches out to families and uh, shows us how to pass on our faith, give them a legacy, the next generation. And God gave me a verse when I was 50. Uh, Even when you're old and gray, do not forsake me, O Lord, until I have declared your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. When I was 70, I was teaching in secret in Vietnam, all those good things, and police found us and all of this exciting stuff. And uh, I was thoroughly frightened after that. And a young woman from Hanoi, hardest place in the place, to have come to be taught the Old Testament. They didn't have an Old Testament in (coughs) 1970. Uh, Communists came in before Wycliffe had even got the New Testament done. And that's what we were doing with pastor's wives from all over the country for groups, little groups. And she said to me, you're frightened, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, you you must come back. You must come back tomorrow because we we can take this and tell people all over, all over the place. And I said, I'll do exactly what your leaders say. And uh, she said, I have a word of God for you from God. And I could see where she'd opened the Bible. And she said, God told me to tell you, even when you're old and gray, do not forsake her, O Lord, until she has declared your part of my generation, your might. That's when I was 70. And when I was 82, not long ago, in a sense, God gave me some of that promise that came true. And uh, yeah, so that's why I'm still here, I guess. And I'm thrilled to be here. And what I love about this church is, this is the next generation. And uh, God is doing mighty things here, and we pray for you diligently. Very, very excited in that Jude and Greg and the kids, three of my grandkids are here as well. You can't buy that, guys. (laughs) I have no greater joy than to know my children walk in truth, said Paul about his spiritual children. So um, yes, just come on in and bring other people and know that God is God of the family in this place. I'd like to share a few things from Acts chapter one. Thank you for the light, by the way. (laughs) I couldn't see this very well. Uh, There are problems about being 82 I fell in the parking lot when I was about, I don't know, 80, going home from church. And it was, we we have our church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, black eyes, you know what that's like. And my feet went from under me. And there was just my husband and I and one young man in the parking lot. And uh, anyway, I knocked myself out. And my husband, who is not attached from every hole in his head to this satellite, so he didn't have, (laughs) <laughs> anything with him is praying about what to do, looking at me on the <laughs> Fortunately, there was a younger man left in the parking lot and he was attached to the satellite in every direction. And I came to hearing him say, an elderly lady has just fallen in the parking lot. And I was coming to him, and I thought, how amazing, somebody else. <laughs> The Jesus part of you never ages. And uh, outwardly we diminish, but inwardly we're being getting younger and younger and younger till one day, glory, and forever. So with all that, which has nothing to do with what I want to tell you, <laughs> let's look at Acts chapter one. Um, this is a passage of scripture you probably know well, but Jesus' cross, Resurrection, and he hangs around for 40 days before he goes back to his father's house. How is that and why is that? 40 days! Well, we're told he had to make sure that they believed he had risen again. And he had to make sure that he spent time convicting those that still doubted. If you read Matthew 28, Jesus in his resurrection body is about to go up to heaven And he says, I'll meet you in Galilee. This is after the 40 days is over. He gets there and he's about to be ascended and he's got his 11 in front of him. And uh, it says, so he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And it says, some doubted. Have you ever read that? Some doubted. What? Doubted what? Doubted, it was... Jesus and his resurrection body, these are his leaven. What, what were they doubting? Were they, I don't know, I looked it up. The word means stood divided. They had a divided heart. Interesting. How could you have a divided heart? How could you say, what do you mean going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? They're crazy stuff. What do you mean? And... Uh, Some believed and some doubted. Read Matthew 28. So I think what it meant by reading about it is they doubted it was him. How could that be? Well, the women doubted at first, didn't they? And Jesus appeared to Mary in the garden and she got the message. She thought he was the gardener, she said. She doubted. And then Jesus said, no, it's me, Mary. And then he said to some of the other women that came to the tomb, go and tell the disciples, and they doubted. It says the women sounded like they had idle tales and they didn't believe, and Thomas doubted. How can we doubt if we're believers about the resurrection, about Acts 1, how the Holy Spirit came? Well, it's very easy. Even if we believe it up here, we can stand divided in our lives and then we don't make very good disciples. And so Jesus stayed, we believe, for 40 days before he went in the ascension to heaven to make sure they believed he was risen from the dead. That was one reason why he hung around. Don't you think he wanted to go home at once? Yes. Telling me. Want to come home, Father? Can't I come home now? But no, he had to make sure. And so it says he appeared, in Acts chapter one, it says he appeared many times in many formats. Uh, Format being where people were. At one point it says in the Acts of the Apostles, to 500 disciples at once. Wow, did you see that in the Acts? And then he appeared to his brother James who hadn't actually believed in him before the resurrection, his own brother. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall. when Jesus, in his resurrection body, appeared to James, who became the head of the church and then the first martyr, if you remember. And Jesus began to make sure they knew, I am Jesus, yes, me, me, me. Thomas, put your hands in the holes in my hands, if you have doubts, stood divided. Uh, Do we believe in the resurrection? Do we believe the story? I mean, it is a, a ridiculous story. It, it's, you know. Um, do I believe in it? I come from England. Have you noticed? Yeah. hope so. <laughs> um, even though we've been here 47 years, I think you can notice. Uh, and grew up in wartime Britain. I'm a child of the Second World War. Six when it began, 12 when it finished. Liverpool bombed every night, all that stuff. Um, My dad went off to the war. My sister, mom, and I spent most of the time not in my little pink bedroom when I was growing up, but in the air raid shelter my dad had dug for us before we went. And it was in those childhood days that in my prayers at church, Church of England, We must say prayers and the Apostles' Creed every day in every public school. And thank God there was no division of church and state, or I would never have heard of Jesus, as I did. And the Apostles' Creed is pretty good theology, by the way. And so I knew it off by heart. And there I had my first God moments in that shelter, screaming or crying as the bombs were dropping night after night after night. Who's trying to kill us? Who hates us, mommy? Uh, Da-da-da-da-da. and uh, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, don't let the bombs touch our house, all that stuff. And um, one day, the Holy Ghost, I was praying through the Apostles' Creed, it sounded like a prayer, and I prayed to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we called him. uh, Into my little hole in the ground came the Holy Ghost, and my heart calmed down, it was physical. I looked up literally to see, no, there was no one there except, my mom and sister. And uh, I prayed that God would stop the bombs falling and not touch our house and all of that. And when I got out in the morning, looked towards the house, scrambled out, I, I relaxed after that. A bomb had not taken but touched the back of my house. And that young child looked up to heaven and said, Who are you? Why did you tease me like that? I misinterpreted. A piece that past understanding as a yes. Little girl, I will not allow the bombs to touch you. And I'd relaxed. And my search for him began then. Actually, I didn't really want to search for him. I didn't know, as C.S. Lewis said, whether I liked him or not. And search it did, until I got to Cambridge. And it was at Cambridge that, for the first time, I met people who, believed the gospel, believed this incredible thing that Jesus was God. God in embryo growing to birth size a baby boy became. I believed it. People believed it. I believed the words even though I didn't believe. (laughs) Isn't it funny you can believe the words you've grown up with if you've any church background at all uh, or any God background at all but You don't believe it somehow. And uh, here at Cambridge, I found the best of the best. I was playing tennis for my college. My uh, captain was one of these Jesus people. I met Jesus people for the first time, who wouldn't shut up. (laughs) They just talked Jesus, Jesus, and I thought, how weird. And then one day, uh, somebody asked me to take a note up to the head girl, we would call her, I'd even voted for her. I was irritated when I found out she was a Christian and I'd voted for her. And so here she was. And uh, they said, would I take this up to Grace? And so I knocked on the door and very rudely burst in before she said, come in. And she was on her knees with a big Bible on the bed. And I thought, oh, how embarrassing for her. And I honestly imagined that she would get up and hide the Bible and uh, I was sorry I'd embarrassed her. And she stayed just where she was, and gorgeous, beautiful girl. I'd voted for her, I was very annoyed, actually, when I found her in front of her Bible. And here she was saying, this is who I am, Jill. This is who I belong to, Jill. Take it or leave it, Jill. Yes, Jill, she said, with a lovely, gorgeous smile. Irritated me, she was beautiful. (laughs) And I threw the note at her, and I went outside, and I didn't know what was happening to me, but I was angry. It was called conviction actually. Beautiful girl on her knees saying, I believe in Jesus, yes. And I went to my room and uh, had lunch and at lunch, believe it or not, C.S. Lewis was on the radio was saying things before his conversion on his walk towards God as he preached on the History Channel and people were writing them down. And uh, in the lunch line, I'm doing something, making a fuss. And somebody put some of those answers. Oxford, Cambridge. The people in England were scribbling down C.S. Lewis's comments as he walked towards God. And then a glorious day when he said, I am now an evangelical Christian, from atheism to God. And uh, I left the lunch line. And I went to my little Cambridge room, and I read, heaven hell because somebody had asked surely professor lewis you don't believe in hell or heaven you what do you mean and he had answered in his history talk after his conversion what he believed about heaven and hell and one famous lewis quote was on there wasn't famous then he hadn't been a christian more than a year ah And it was, there is a door opened in the pitiless walls of the world and one day we shall follow our great captain inside. Very famous Lewis quote. There is a door in the pitiless walls of the world. And I left the lunch line and I'm reading this in my little Cambridge room and a great cry goes up. If only someone would tell me, what is this door? Is it it death's door? And who will get in? Will I get in? Will will my mom, will my dad? and, and Grace, what, what was that about? Something in her face. And, uh, and God read me. If you don't know what to say, especially if you're in trauma, don't say anything. Kneel down and say to God, read me. Okay, that's all you need to do. He has anyway. I am a prayer and I did the same. I didn't know what words to use. And I didn't say, read me. I just knelt down and helplessly and But it was if only someone would tell me prayer. And within three weeks I got sick, rushed into a hospital, and put next to the first person uh, I think I'd ever met in so-called Christian England who knew God. And she was a nurse who was sick herself, and a new believer in Jesus. And she had been to one class on how to lead somebody to Christ, and I was the experiment. And she did a great job actually. Uh, And she told me about Lord Jesus and the gospel and uh, used Revelation 3.20, which we use out of context, but it worked. Those of you who are believers know what I mean. Uh, It's really about Jesus knocking on the door of a church that needed waking up. But she applied it to my heart. Jesus is knocking at your heart. And he wants to come in. And he's knocking at the door. And I said, Oh, I know about the door. She said, How do you know about the door? <laughs> and I said, There is a door opened in the world. And one day we should. Where did you read that? I said, Piece of paper. Lewis. Oh, she said, Yes. She took a chance. That door. And I said, Can you take me through? And she said, yes, Jill, and she took me through. You know, I'm 82 years of age, and it's all true. And it still makes me cry. And God came into my life by his Holy Spirit, Jesus without his body. Jesus sent forth his Spirit. It isn't God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all God in all their goodness. All God in all their goodness. And it's taken me a lifetime to figure out what on earth that means. But as I prayed with with Jenny and asked Christ by his spirit to come into my life to forgive my sin, I didn't understand any of it, (coughs) just little bits of it. It happened. And she said, now go to sleep tonight, Jill saying, all of God is in all of me. I said, what? She said, it's all you're going to get. I said, that's it? Can't I get a bit of God-like and more tomorrow? And she said, you can't get a bit of a person. He's God in all his Godness. Holy Spirit, Jesus without his body, God in all his Godness, third person of the Trinity. And of course, it takes a lifetime to figure all that out. Who I received at that age, but I did. And then she began to follow me up, she said. I had no idea what that meant, but I was to learn. And uh, she said, go to sleep tonight saying, all of God in all of you, right? I'll tell you about it in the morning. I woke up in the morning and I said, so what about this, is that all it is? Is that all I'm going to get? She said, yes, he hasn't got all of you. That takes a lifetime but you've got all of him. For all that you will need him to be when you need him to be all that you need. It's one of his names, I am. I will be all that you need me to be when you need me to be, Jill, all that you need. And so you have God in all his godness. If you have said, Jesus, I need you, Jesus, I want you, come into my spirit find your home in me. And so that's how it began. And the disciples had met him in his resurrection body. They'd met him without his resurrection body, remember? And he made sure that they knew he had risen from the dead. And yet even as he's going into heaven, it says some of them doubted. So don't worry if you are a believer that somewhere in your childhood you accepted Jesus and you thought, oh, I never really understood it and I've grown out of it or I'm clever now and I'm, you know. Uh, Don't worry about that. But I would pray that if you have come in today and you don't know what I'm talking about, you'd listen carefully because it's all true. It's all true. I've been a pastor's wife for, Well, I was a missionary wife for, I don't know, 11 years. Never been able to count. (laughs) And then uh, pastor's wife for all these years in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We immigrated in 1970 with three kids, 11, nine, and seven, and uh, have been in the same church um, all these years. 30 years as senior pastor, and then as their ministers at large, doing this missionary work. Uh, in these last 17 years, and um, I've had plenty of opportunities to figure out if it's all true, I assure you. I have met people who are being tortured for their faith soon after we left them, and they were arrested, in Iran, and all of that, and uh, it's all true. Those that have escaped have told us their story. It's all true. Oh, my word. If anybody should know, it would be them. And uh, what's all true, Jill? That you can't go to heaven without Jesus. That's true. You can go to heaven. What's heaven? Eternal life. What's eternal life? Forever. What's forever? Eternity. New bodies. No more pain. No more sickness. No more death. No more, no more, no more. Incredible. And heaven isn't sitting on a pink, damp cloud playing a harp. New heavens, new earth, guys. Read about it. Learn about it. Ask about it. It's all true. Yes, it is. So, one or two things from this passage. (coughs) I hate digital clocks. (laughs) I'm <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I made it too. I don't do digital. I tell people that wherever I go and these young, wonderful, brilliant young people doing all of this look at me and say, she doesn't do digital, what should we do with it? You know, I... <laughs> So I do have a clock here and I went over last time so I'll use my good old hands with numbers on it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um... Which part, Lord? Jerusalem, Judea, yes. So, Jesus is going home to heaven, 40 years. They are convinced he has appeared to enough of them and all of them, even James, his brother, who didn't believe in him before the resurrection. I'd love to have been fly on the wall when Jesus in his resurrection body appeared to James, who became head of the church in the first martyr, (coughs) And so, they're convinced he's alive. He also wanted them to learn what the kingdom of God was and that first the king was important, that Jesus needed in his resurrection life within them to be first in their life, first before their family, first before their everything, Jesus first, Jesus only. Right, what does that mean? That he will take our lives. Does it mean we will have to leave our families? No, hopefully. It might mean that we'll be separated from it. That's what it meant for me. That's what it meant for me. Stuart was a bank inspector catching criminals in the bank. I was a teacher in the red light district by where the Beatles were playing. That's the bit you'll remember from this sermon. <laughs> and we met in the context of me doing street work at night after uh, school, and Stuart, uh, after his his criminals in the bank. Um, He was brought up in a Christian family, wonderful Christian family. His first sermon was when he was 17 uh, and he's in a little assembly where all the men did the preaching and the work and somebody came up to him and said, how old are you? And he said, 17. He said, it's time you were preaching. And he said, I can't preach. And he said, have you ever tried? He said, no. he said, well, how'd you know you can't do it? Good question you will preach to the youth group next week. And Stuart's ministry began. <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful story. You should read his autobiography. Fabulous. And so then uh, he, he went over time. <laughs> History repeats itself for 70 years. <laughs> <laughs> he always has three points. He never gets to his third point. So after 70 years of preaching, our church always says to him, you could do 20 more years on your third point. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, here we are. Meeting in the context of youth work and putting aside his inspection. He was on the inspection staff. I was in... Uh, teaching in Liverpool, doing the same thing. And we meet in the same youth centre, a big castle, uh, with a man who is a German, uh, an English war hero and starts to reach ex-Nazi youth after the war, bring them to England, and uh, amazing story. And then adds other European kids after the war and then British kids and turns it into an outreach and a camp and then a short-term Bible school and all of that. And we left, we met and uh, left our careers and went to work full-time in that. In 1970, we immigrated here after 11 years in that mission to a church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I remember coming because the mission wanted us to come and show them how to reach the inner city. That's what we've been doing for 11 years. And uh, their pastor just resigned. And so um, the elders said, find us a pastor. You know people all over the world. And he said, how about me? And they said, we knew you'd be a pastor. This is a shortened version. (laughs) And so he rang me in England and said, how would you like to come and immigrate to America? What would we do? We pastor a church. I said, you don't know how to do it. You've never trained. He said, You don't know how to be a pastor's wife. Let's learn together. So we came. And that wonderful church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I remember Stuart, the first Sunday, he said, You're either the most stupid people in America or the bravest that you have invited Jill and I. We have never trained formally. But I promised to do one thing. And I always remember he held up his Bible and he said to Elmbrook Church, 150 people. I promise, Anglican Prayer Book, to read, learn, mark, inwardly digest this book, and teach it. And I invite you to join us in learning to do it together. And I always remember those 150 people stood up and put their Bible and said, we will. And that was 1970, and they did. And God worked in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Thank you, America, for what you've been for us. And thank you, even though our roots are in British soil, they were planted here in America. And it's all true, it all works, it all works, it all works. And so, you go where he tells you to go, and you stay where, you tell to put be, where he puts you, and you just say, the mission feels between my own two feet at any given time. That's what that girl in the next bed said to me. Jill, the mission feels between your own two feet. Here's the head nurse. Tell her about Jesus. What, what, what? She pushed me into it. I have no idea what I did, but this is a true story. She went and got the psychiatrist. He came into the hospital. (laughs) He sat on the side of my bed, and he said, I hear you're having religious thoughts. (laughs) Is that what I'm having, Jenny? Yes, tell him yes. Yes. (laughs) He rushed away, writing something, never saw him again. (laughs) It's crazy, absolutely crazy. But it's true, it's all true, it's all true. Yes, it is. So how does it work? First Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world. That's what the angel said. They're watching, gazing up into heaven. This same Jesus is coming back. Stop gazing up into heaven, get going. Occupy till I come. First Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the outermost parts of the world. So Jerusalem is between your own two feet now, wherever you live, wherever you work, every day. If you travel for your business, to your mission field for two days, whatever, get that in your head. Mission fields between your own two feet. Start in Jerusalem. What's your Judea, America. What's your Samaria, hard places, the pubs, the area that you teach in school, this area of Chicago. Actually, not far away, right? That's Samaria. And maybe the uttermost parts of the world, that's not our business. It's just saying yes. So as soon as you accept Jesus by His Spirit, and He forgives your sins, and He begins to deal with you so that the end of your life, He's taken over the whole thing, all of God and all of me, then you start where you are, in Jerusalem, and you figure out Judea and Samaria, and you go to the uttermost parts of the earth some way. Most of us will not have the privilege we've had of going to the uttermost parts of the world. Privilege and the challenge. but you can go on your knees anywhere. And you have to learn as a believer to be formidable on your knees for Christ from the moment you become to Jesus. And Jenny taught me that (coughs) in hospital. I said, what do you mean be formidable on my knees? She said, it isn't prayer that works, Jill. It's God that works. It's the God, it's who you pray to, not, The way you pray, it's not the prayer you say, it's not the clever thing that happens when you pray. It's who you pray to that matters, right? And so you can be formidable on your knees for the uttermost parts of the world. You can kneel down and you can go anywhere in the world. You can go to Iran where people I know are being put in boxes as I say and tortured because of their faith. And you can pray. And you can go to your next-door neighbors. You go to your family members. Those of you who are divorced and broken, you can go all over that broken family on your knees. Go anywhere on your knees and be formidable. I remember one of our grandkids saying to me one day in Milwaukee, I said, where are you going tonight? We're going down to and bands, you know, and all of that stuff. And I said, which band is playing? Stuart had always taught us to be astute. <laughs> he told me. I said, it's not a good idea. Wait a few weeks. There's a good country western. No, 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 no. It's all right. We're, we're all going in a group from church. I said, it isn't all right. Look at me, Danny. I'm going. So I said, all right. Nana is going to pray for you. He said, don't. <laughs> Nana, got a Get formidable. You've got to get them scared to death of you. <laughs> Actually, he got sick. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, mum, <laughs> so I waited for the call, which came. Nana, I got sick. I couldn't go. I said, I did not pray you get. He didn't believe me. <laughs> but anyway, we have laughed. He's now 30. We have laughed about that. You can be formidable, and you can go to the uttermost parts of the world. Or you can go yourself. If you just say yes, maybe. Just say yes, every day. Yes, Jesus, whatever. And it'll work. Pray with me.